be back with everybody again this week. Um, you want the good news or the bad news first? You want bad news first? Okay. Well, it's sad news. I don't know if you call it bad news. Um, the, the bad news is that, or sad news, is that after many, many, many years of this lunch going on continually, um, the session voted Monday night to stop um, having this Wednesday lunch. Uh, not effective today, but next Wednesday. We'll meet again next Wednesday, but the last Wednesday in September will be our, our last Wednesday lunch of this format. We're going we're gonna to take some time and study it and try to relaunch it, hopefully in the spring of 2016. My guess will be sometime around March, um, and relaunch it with a purpose and a plan and a target and a message that we feel like will be uh, will have a broader appeal, and it probably will be on a different day of the week instead of Wednesday. Um, in our church. <clears throat> Those of you who aren't members of our church, we have a very, very large women's ministry that meets on Wednesday mornings, and we have an extremely large young adult, well, adult and children's ministry that meets on Wednesday night. And when you couple those two things on either side of a Wednesday lunch, it's kind of easy to see why our church members have found it hard to get here. Uh, so I... I hate to be the bearer of bad news, but uh, uh, I know that many of you, many of you have been very, very faithful for a lot of years to come to this event, and I believe that it's been huge for me in my life, and I believe it can be a special event in the life of this church, but I think it's time to back up and rethink. There is another reason why uh, the the caterer who is who's been serving for us. Next Wednesday is going to be their last Wednesday doing it, and we have not been able to find another caterer. We have looked and looked and looked. But even if we had found another caterer, I think it's probably in the best interest to, to, to stop, rethink, and retool, and then come back with a, a new direction. So that's the bad news. Good news is... I don't know what day yet, but Cole, my grandson, will be coming home from the hospital uh, this week. So, yeah, that is, uh, that is tremendous news. Um, Cole is off of all his tubes. He still has a little monitor to monitor his breathing. But uh, other than that, he's, he's doing great. And uh, so thank you. Thank you all for your prayers. We have been uh, looking at the book of Ephesians, so if you have a Bible, <clears throat> turn to Ephesians. Uh, and this morning, or this afternoon rather, I want to look at two texts, Ephesians 2, 8 through 10, very briefly, and then spend most of our time on Ephesians 4, 17 through 32. So starting at Ephesians 2, 8 through 10, let me read that and then I'll open us with prayer and then we'll, we'll go to Ephesians 4. Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. And y'all know this text. This text is, I guess this is one of the first verses of Scripture that I memorized when I really started memorizing the Bible. 
But Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 were precious to me because they say, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And that is not of yourselves. It's not of works. It is the gift of God, lest any man should boast. By grace you have been saved through faith. By grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one can boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus, for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Let's pray. Father God, we praise you and thank you for all that you are for us in Christ. We, we praise you and thank you for your grace and mercies to us every day. We thank you for this food that we have enjoyed, this meal and this time of fellowship coming together. We thank you for your provision of this place and this time to open your word together. Bless it, Father. Bring your spirit upon us. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen. This light coming off and on. It's kind of weird. <laughs> you know, it's sort of like if I'm getting it right, God turns the light on. <laughs> if I get it wrong, the light goes off. <laughs> so if it gets dark, you'll know I'm way off base. No, I'm kidding. It's uh, short in that light fixture, so <clears throat> it needs to get fixed. All right. We started our study in Ephesians by seeing that Paul begins with the position of the Christian because of Christ, and we saw who we are. We're chosen by God, we are redeemed by the Son, and we are sealed by the Holy Spirit. We saw that two weeks ago. And then last week, we looked at the fact that we were dead in our trespasses and sins, Um, and dead people have no faith. Faith is... Ephesians 2 tells us, is a gift. Faith is a gift. Our lives and our faith are all gift. We have no grounds for boasting. And God did all this. We are his workmanship. God did all that he did, and we are his workmanship. He formed us. He put us together. He placed us where we're at in our various jobs, in our careers, in the families that we have. He brought us around to the people that we associate with. He put us in our homes. God made you to be what you are. You are his workmanship. And your salvation is his workmanship. And he did all this. He made you for good works planned for you from the beginning. That's what Ephesians 2.10 says. God made you to do something. You've got a purpose. It's not just random. He didn't just plant you and you'd say, I'm going to wind the clock up and you're going to spin out into 70, 80 years. I don't know how long you're going to live. And then you die. And that's your... No. God's got a purpose and a plan for each person. When our grandsons were born, um, Chase was born alongside with his twin brother, Cole, and they were born three months premature. 
Chase weighed two pounds, four ounces, and he was tiny, roughly that long, little bitty and skinny. Both babies were very small. He couldn't talk. He couldn't walk. He couldn't do anything. He was totally dependent on the nurses and doctors to care for him. He was in an incubator, kept warm. He had feeding tube. He had oxygen going into his lungs to keep everything flowing the way it's supposed to be. But that baby was absolutely, totally dependent. And Cole was, too, until very recently. Chase, however, was born with a heart defect, and therefore his life was very short, only 13 days. But God taught us so much through that little child. God taught us about the preciousness of life, And God taught us about the joy of the church and the support and love of the people of God toward and for each other. He taught us things that we could have never seen had we not gone through this. But at Chase's funeral, George Robertson said something that I'd never heard before. George Robertson's a pastor at First Presbyterian Church over in Augusta where Michael and Marcia go to church. I had never heard this. He said, he said, We are all here at this graveside service because of a two-and-one-half-pound little boy who lived 13 days. His life and our presence here demonstrate the biblical doctrine of sanctification, which says none of us goes to heaven because of our work, but all of us who go to heaven do work. None of us goes to heaven because of our work, but all of us who go to heaven do work. Now that landed, that landed hard on me. I'm listening at this funeral and I'm thinking, oh, that's so true. And it has to be true. That's what Ephesians 2.10 says. You were created for good works and God planned those works in you. God did it. Well, today I want to look at what that looks like. What does the Christian life look like? For Chase, it was 13 days of being totally dependent. And then he's going to be with God. And I fully believe that that boy is there. For me, I'm 56. Be 57, not too long. I don't know what my span is. I think it's been an amazing run so far. My father-in-law is 92. His sister is 102. His mother lived to be 105. I told my wife I was going to live to be 114. And then she was going to have to beat me to death with an axe. And I hope I can fight her. No, I... I don't know what my time frame is, and I don't know what yours is either. But God has planned your work. What does it look like? What does Paul say it's supposed to look like? Look at Ephesians 4, 17 through 32. We're skipping over Ephesians 3. I realize that. There's an awful lot there. We don't have time. But I want you to see, okay, God's done this in you. What should it be? be like? What does Paul say? 
Ephesians 4.17. Now, this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned Christ, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. Here we have a text that Paul says gives us a picture of what being a Christian in the world is supposed to look like. There's so much here, I'm not going to try to unpack it all. But the point is that now we have been made alive, we have a new life, and that life looks and sounds different. We sound different notes. Side note, Psalm 41 has been huge for me uh, over the course of this summer. Psalm 40, excuse me. Uh, And it begins like this. I waited patiently upon the Lord, and he inclined to me and heard my cry. And he pulled me out of the slimy pit, out of the miry clay, and he set my feet upon a solid rock and gave me a firm place to stand. You hear Ephesians in that, right? And then the next verse, and he put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. And many will hear and many will fear and many will put their trust in the Lord. That's what Paul's saying here. God took us from nothing out of deadness and made us alive and put a new song in that in our hearts. What does that song look like? Verses 17 through 19 give us an admonition. You must not walk, Paul says. You must not walk. How? Don't walk like you're still dead. Don't walk like a dead person. You're alive. Dead people are dark, he says. 
they are separated from life. They have hard hearts. They are callous and given to sensuality and greedy and impure. But that's not what you are. That's not what you are. You've been made different. Verses 20 to 24. There's an argument. Paul gives us an argument. First we have the admonition, now the argument. He says, that is not the way you learned Christ. You have a relationship with him. You haven't just heard of Jesus. You know him. You haven't just heard of this person, Jesus Christ, who 2,000 years ago was nailed to a cross and put in a tomb and was raised from the dead and 40 days later ascended into heaven. You haven't just heard of this person. You know him. You know him. Because you were taught, he says, in the truth and you have the truth in you and truth is in Jesus. You have the truth in you and the truth is in Jesus. Well, how can you have a relationship with Jesus? How can that truth be in you? How can you talk with him and he with you? You do it day by day through this book. Day by day, every day, you open the Word. Every day, you open the Scriptures. Every day, you listen to Jesus. Listen to Jesus. Listen to what He says. I encourage you. I'm doing a little study right now through Matthew. And I guess I've been doing it now for some months, probably three months. And just taking a little section of Matthew every day. And reading the notes at the bottom of my page in my study Bible. And just really chewing on what Jesus said. It's been so good. And it's been amazing looking at all the texts. Matthew quotes the Old Testament more than any of the gospel writers. Jesus quotes the Old Testament in Matthew over and over and over. And what you find is that Jesus' words are all through this book. It's all here. But you read the word. That's how you hear Jesus speak to you. And you speak the word back to Jesus. So that when you pray the 23rd Psalm. Oh Lord, you are my shepherd. You are my good shepherd. You make me to lie down in green pastures. You lead me beside the still waters. It becomes personal. When you memorize scripture and when you pray the scriptures back to God, it becomes very personal and you're communicating with God in a powerful way, in an amazing way. That's what Paul says. Paul says, because of this new relationship, this new life in Christ, verse 22 says, we are to put off... Our old self, which belongs to the former manner of life, which is corrupt, and put on a new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. So there's a taking off of what we were and a putting on of something new. In other words, we talked about this last week, take off the grave clothes. Remember in Lazarus, the story of Lazarus in John 11? When Lazarus walks out of the tomb, Jesus tells the people, take off his grave clothes. He's not dead anymore. He's going to look different. Take the the rags off of him. Take what he's been bound with because he's not bound anymore. He's free. You are the same way. 
That's what we're to do. But it's not physical clothes that we're talking about. It's not the physical bindings that have bound Lazarus. These are spiritual clothes. These are spiritual things that our lives used to demonstrate a certain spiritual characteristic before. And now that we're alive, we demonstrate a new spirit, a new life. And that leads us to the application. The application, verses 25 to 32. We've had an admonition from Paul, an argument for why this is true, and now the application. Verse 25 begins with the word, therefore. Paul has given us an admonition to live a certain way, an argument for why we should live that way, and now tells us, therefore, do this. He gives us five sins to address. Five sins. Number one, lying. Verse 25. Put away falsehood. Put away falsehood. Speak the truth. You know, lying was the first sin dealt with in the New Testament church. Ananias and Sapphira. You remember that story? They sold a piece of property. and They brought the money to the church leaders. And Ananias was asked, is this all the money from the sale of that property? Yes. No. He's dead. Three hours later, Sapphira comes in. She doesn't know what happened to Ananias. Sapphira, is this all the money from the church property? Yes. No. She's dead. The very first sin that the church deals with is lying. The Christian life is not controlled by lies. The Christian life is controlled by the truth. We have to speak the truth to ourselves. We have to be honest with ourselves. That's a a big issue. And we have to be honest with each other. And that's sometimes very, very hard. And second sin, anger. Verses 26 and 27. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Anger itself is not a sin. God can be angry. And in the Old Testament, there are several places where the phrase, the anger of the Lord, appears. We can be angry. We can be angry with God at sin. And we can be loving with God towards people. Psalm 97.10 says, You that love the Lord hate evil. You that love the Lord hate evil. It is possible also to be angry and not sin. But if we do sin, we should settle the matter quickly and not let the sun go down on our anger. When I was washing cars with a bunch of employees, I had an employee named John. Wynn probably remembers John. You probably see him. He's still there. John's a great guy, and I love him, and I wish he was here. He actually has been to this Wednesday lunch with me a couple of times. Uh, but one, John, bless his heart, uh, he means well all the time, but he can mess up. Ah. Oh. And it's never bad. It's never awful. It's just always really inconvenient. And it just, yeah. 
And one day I'd had a whole series of these kind of inconveniences, one right after the other, and then John comes along with one more, and I just lost it. I flew off the handle. I threw something. I don't remember what it was. I'm sure I kicked something, and I used language that was absolutely inappropriate. It was horrible. And I walked away, and uh, there's a guy that works there still named Mose Fordham. He had seen it from a distance. He came up. Moses had just recently been baptized, as it turns out. He came up behind me and put his arm around my shoulder. And he said, uh, how do you feel about all that, Mr. Duggan? I said, I blew it, didn't I? He said, yep, you did. He said, what you going to do about that? And I said, I'm going to go apologize. I got to. And it was the best thing I could have done. Because not only did I apologize to John, but there had been a customer fairly nearby. I went and found that customer and apologized to them. And I apologized to the three other employees who were there. It was the best thing I could have done. Because if I hadn't done it, something we're going to talk about later, it's called bitterness. Bitterness would have just boiled up inside me. And I don't know what I would have done. God used Moses Fordham to come to me and just give me a little nudge and say, you need to go do something about this. I'm spending too long on this. Third sin, verse 28, stealing. We are to put off stealing and work for a living instead. There are many ways that we can steal. We can steal from God when we don't worship him as we should, or when we put our own interest above his glory. We can steal from God when we don't worship as we should. Or even if we are highly critical of other people who are worshiping and we don't understand what they're doing. And we can be a thief to them. And we can steal their worship. I've seen people... And you may have seen them too. They come in to worship, and they've got a chip on their shoulder about something. And their lips are pooched out, and they're not happy. They don't like something. might be the organ. They don't like organs. They just don't want to hear an organ anymore. And so they pooch their lip out every time that organ's played. I can say that because I'm kind of one of those people. Organs give me a headache. But there are people that would say, I'm not going back to that church until I get rid of that organ. And they're stealing from, not just from God, they're stealing their worship from God. They're also stealing from themselves. They're stealing the opportunity to be in worship joyfully from themselves. We can steal by borrowing and not repaying. We can steal from an employer when we do less than we're capable of doing. And Paul gives us a motive for work. He says that we may have something to share with anyone in need. That's why we work. That we may have something to share with anyone in need. Number four, corrupt speech. Put off unwholesome talk and instead speak to others. Speak to help others. Corrupt talk is like rust on steel or mold on wood. It weakens it and makes it unattractive and ultimately useless. More, corrupt talk can be like a spark in a dry forest. 
one little spark and whoosh, off it goes. I got to finish up. James 3, 5 through 6 speak of that, and I won't read that text. But God commands us to speak only such as is good for building up. Speak only in a way that is good for building up. We are the church, and our mission is to expand the kingdom of God and build each other up, not tear each other down. Why do we tear each other down so badly? That's not our mission. And Paul's comment about grieving the Holy Spirit That comment's there to remind us that when we tear each other down with unwholesome speech, we grieve the Spirit in whom we ourselves are built up. We wouldn't be alive apart from the work of the Spirit in our hearts. So we grieve the Spirit when we speak in a bad way, corrupt speech. Finally, bitterness, verses 30 and 32. Bitterness is is defined as a settled hostility that poisons us. That's what bitterness is. It's a settled hostility that poisons us, and it leads to wrath and anger. Bitterness is born out of an unforgiving spirit. An unforgiving spirit is the devil's playground. The devil's playground will become our battleground, and with bitterness and unforgiveness, we're going to lose the battle. God commands us to be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as Christ forgave you. We've been made alive in Christ. And as living Christians, we are to look different, sound different, act different. We don't look like we're dead people anymore or sound like it. It would be easy for me to be bitter about the loss of a grandchild or for my son to be bitter about the loss of a child. But when I look at what God did in the short time that Chase lived, and when I think about how God taught me and my son and my daughter-in-law and my wife and so many people in our family, God taught us so much from that precious child about love, about the love that a father has for a son. I'm telling you, the love for my son, I didn't fully understand until he had a son. I really didn't get it. And when I've seen our church, this church, and the church, capital C, universal, praying for us and with us, we've received so much encouragement and truth and word. It makes me love. Chase's life and death make me love God more. Now, that doesn't make sense to the world, but it makes sense to me. And that's how I battle bitterness. That's how you battle bitterness. Understanding that you worship a sovereign God who works all things after the purpose of his own will. Who's got a purpose for your life. And you may not know what it is. You don't know what's coming. But you know God's got a plan. And you're trusting him in it every day. So here's some questions for you to take with you. How does your life look compared to the world? Can an unbelieving world look at your life and say, you act different. You sound different. And when you speak, do you speak the truth in love because you know the truth? Do you know the truth of God's word? And it comes out in your speech. And especially in the church, are you lifting others up with your talk? Or are you tearing them down? And finally, are you bitter? 
Has the world or the church done something or not done something? And you are harboring bitterness towards others about that event. Jesus said, let your light so shine before men that they should see your good deeds and glorify your Father which is in heaven. And Paul said in 2 Corinthians 4, 6, and 7, For God, who said, Let light shine out of darkness, has shined into our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we hold this treasure in jars of clay, that the surpassing power might be unto God and not to us. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your Amazing grace. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. Father, we were dead in our trespasses and sins, but you, by your grace, have made us alive in Christ. And you've made us alive for good works. And for some of us, we may never, ever fully understand what you have done through us in our lives. But one day, we will come to be with you in glory and in heaven, and all of our lives will be recounted. And all of our sins will be washed away, have been washed away completely by Jesus. All that debt is paid for completely because of his blood shed for us on the cross. And we will stand in glory with him at your throne and sing praises to your name. And all the things of this world that weigh heavily upon us will have gone completely behind. Father, we all look forward to that day. Let us work diligently while it is day here. For the glory of your kingdom. And it's in Jesus' name we ask it. Amen.